All right, well, take your Bibles. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1 today. Revelation chapter 1. As you're turning there, we'll read the scripture here in a moment. Um, I'm, um, I'm excited and scared all at the same time to um, speak to you over the next few weeks on Revelation. And um, somebody asked me this question, um, why have I ignored this book for 35 years? And um, so um, may, I'm, I want to address that, that question for you as we begin this morning. Um, this is the very first time that I've ever done a series on the book of Revelation. Um, I have done pieces of it. I'll be, admit to you there's been selective verses that I have preached from in Revelation. I did do a series on the seven churches one time about five or six years ago. Um, we looked at the seven churches in seven different messages. Um, but I've never delved into a lot of the, um, the allegorical, symbolic um, nature of, of, um, of Revelation. And the reason I haven't done that is because when I, was, uh, when, I, when I first became a Christian, when I was about 16 years old, I went to a youth group, similar to our youth group. And um, within the, like, I mean, I'm talking like within months of coming to Christ. I knew nothing about the Bible, really. I had limited knowledge of what it meant to be a Christian. All I knew was I was a sinner and Jesus died for me and he died on a cross for me. And I was like, okay, give me a brand new start. I was all in, okay. But now I had faced, um, I went to this, um, this like Friday night youth event. They invited like the community, bring your friends. We're going to have pizza and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of that night, they showed a movie called... A Thief in the Night. How many of you saw that movie back in the 1970s? This movie scared the jagibers out of me, okay? I mean, I was, I was so, like, traumatized by this movie that, um, you, know, I, you know, it was a movie about all of a sudden, you know, kids were just flying out of the sky and leaving and there was a bunch of people left over and Jesus had come and a thief in the night when you least expect it. And I know that's biblical. I, I realize that. But could I just tell you, watching this movie for one hour with no context of what Jesus is really all about scared the living daylights out of me. Okay, and so, so I've always been like, you know, kind of, it just kind of set a wrong kind of taste in my mouth at the very beginning of my walk with Christ. And then over the years, you know, there was this book uh, by Hal Lindsey back in the 1970s called The Late Great Planet Earth. And in the 1980s, this was, uh, this was, was highly read in the church that I was a part of. It was, the, it was, it was. You know, people talked about it. They did Bible studies on it. They had small groups on it. It was something. And um, again, it was, uh, it was one of those things that turned me off on the book of Revelation. Now, I've read the book of Revelation from cover to cover a few times. But it's not part of my devotional life, I'll be honest with you, okay? <laughs> it's not like one of my go-to books. And so over the years, I have, um, I have steered clear from that because... Um, of the, of the, of the, of the, I think the misapplication and the misinterpretation of the book of Revelation in so many widespread churches in America today. I think it's, uh, I think it's really one that doesn't help us, it hurts us. And so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into the book of Revelation this morning, but, um, and I'm not saying I've got the right way, okay? I want to say that right up front, Okay. Because there are various interpretations out there, and I've, I've read the four major categories of interpretation and looked at the, the, the schemes of those things. Um, but uh, I, I'm going to try to be as, as faithful to the text of the scripture as possible, amen? Just like I try to do in every section of the Bible. I want to I stay faithful to the text and faithful to the Word of God because I believe the Word of God, the book of Revelation, is not just about tomorrow. The book of Revelation is about today as well. It's about right now. It's about the way you live your life. And I believe that it was written for, for a first century Christian in the very early stages of Christianity to encourage them, not to scare the jabegrubs out of them, okay? It was, it was designed to, to say to them, you know what? God is on the throne. 
And he's going to have the last word. And he will be the Lord of all. Um, since then, by the way, The Thief in the Night, there have been hundreds and hundreds of movies and books that have been written on the book of Revelation. I mean, just go and do a Google search of Revelation, okay? You will discover some bizarre stuff. I mean, really bizarre. I mean, you'll, you'll discover things that you would just, you know, blow you away. Like, what in the world is this all about, Okay. Along with that, you will discover that the world is fascinated about the end of time. The world is fascinated about, about what happens when, when all of this comes to an end, you know. Um, and we've got lots of secular movies out there that talk about the end of the world and how it's all going to come about, you know. And, um, and some of those are fun to go watch if you like those kind of movies, you know, it's not something that's in my repertoire, but it might be in your repertoire. You know, a few years ago, back in the 1990s, there was this series called Left Behind that came out. And it was a series of novels. How many of you have read the Left Behind series? Okay. It's fiction, folks. Okay. Could I just tell you that? It is fiction. Um, and there were some movies that went along with it. And so, so, you know, all of those. That's why I have not delved into it. Now, maybe you would say, Pastor, that's a good reason for you to delve into it. And that's why I'm doing it now. Amen. It's, uh, the Word of God is, is incredible. Now, I've got some great resources. I, I went and, you know, picked up, I went to Amazon and tried to find the best book I could find on Revelation. And I found the book of Revelation made easy. <laughs> and I said, wow, I'm going to start there. Let's make it easy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, was, it took me about 10 minutes to read this little book. It's full of charts and full of graphs and all that kind of stuff. And I decided that was not going to be my resource for my studying uh, the book of Revelation. And so I've got a whole stack of books and, um, you know, I've read, I've read probably 10 books on the book of Revelation. And I'll tell you, there's some lots of different perspectives on that. And uh, my hope and prayer is that God will help us. I love this quote, the quote that I love, it says this, many Christians in the West have shut out the book of Revelation. That was one, that was me after seeing it exploited by cult leaders, pop eschatologists, and end-time fiction writers. Okay? They've been like, you know, I'm going to check out of that. I'm going to stick with the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know. I'm going to be safe there. I'm going to stick with Paul's letters. You know, I might even delve into Hebrews a little bit, but man, I'm just going to, I'm going to let that revelation stuff kind of just take care of itself when I get there, you know, because uh, I'm not so sure I want to delve into that. And a lot of preachers don't preach on revelation because of a lot of the reasons I've shared with you today, okay? And back in the day when I started to, uh, when I was a young Christian, it really did have a traumatic effect on me. By the way, I was a Christian and I said, you know, it, it didn't do such, it didn't turn me away from Christ. It did turn me towards Christ, praise God. And I wasn't like, you know, I, I was glad I accepted Christ. I knew he had forgiven me of my sins, you know. But, but you know, this whole idea of the rapture was one of those things I was like, wow. By the way, do you know that the word rapture is not in the Bible? Now, the concept's in the Bible, but the word is not in the Bible. And so sometimes we read into the scripture what may not necessarily be there. I'm not saying that's not there, but I'm saying that sometimes we do that. Um, so, so what's the problem here? Here's the problem that I've discovered about Revelation or the way people have approached Revelation. They, they start believing, especially those who, who are so fanatical or overly sensitized to the book of Revelation or to a specific interpretation of the book of Revelation, that they believe in order to escape. Escape the rapture, escape the judgment of God. Now, there is a sense of truth there, you know, that we do escape, you know. But I want to tell you something. Coming to Jesus because he loves you is the best way. Amen. Because he died on a cross for you and because he set you free from your sins. That you should not just be coming to Jesus to escape the fact that Jesus is coming back again and you're going to be left behind. Okay. That's not, that's not really the gospel message. 
The gospel message is that he died on a cross for you. He was buried in a tomb and he rose again from the dead. That's the gospel message. Amen. And so believing in order. Sometimes we evangelize in order to help others escape. We have used this fear, this fear-mongering type of message that says, Jesus is coming back, are you ready? Because in a thief in the night, you're going to be sleeping one day and boom, it's going to be gone. You know, and so, so this idea of evangelism is all about helping others to escape. Instead of sharing the good news, we share a secondary message of the gospel, which is about escaping hell and dam- 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 damnation or being left behind. Third, connecting current events to end time prophecies. I think this is a problem, my friends. I have heard so many people who have, who have identified the Antichrist, who know him by name. I mean, I've heard Hitler, and I've heard Gorbachev, and I've even heard that it's Trump, and I've heard that it's this one and that one, and people begin to identify who the Antichrist is, who the evil one is. They even begin to try to figure out all of the symbols in the scripture to determine where Armageddon is going to be and what's going to happen and which nations are going to happen. And this little image in the scripture is really a helicopter. Have you heard that? And there's missiles going on and all of that is found in the scripture. And I think sometimes that is detrimental to us. Okay, A lot of times people, what they want to do with Revelation is they want a timeline. This will happen first, and this will happen second, and this will happen third, and this will happen fourth, and then this will happen. And so what do we do? We try to read the day and the time to try to figure out all the things and how the order is going to be, and then we'll figure out, and we'll have the riddle. We will have the answer to the rest of the world that doesn't have the answer of what really is going to happen at the end of the world. Do you see why I don't want to preach on it? And then there is... Withdrawing from the world. There's even people who have said Jesus is coming back on this day at this time. And they have, they have sold everything. <coughs> got together with the little kumbaya group. Stood on a ro- roof somewhere and said we're waiting for Jesus to come back. Because they have figured it out. And they withdrawn from the world. Some say, you know what, the world is evil and the world is bad and the devil's having his way. And we're just going to withdraw from the world and we're going to have our own little, little combine, a little, little community here. And we're going to be Jesus and I'm not, uh, you know, I've decided to follow him. And no, I'm not following the world anymore. I'm going to separate from the world. When Jesus told us to go and be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. He said to go and reach people for Jesus Christ. So there's lots of problems here in some of the the misinformation that is out there on Revelation. And this is why I've stayed away from it. I figured this was a minefield that I was just going to get myself in trouble somewhere. And I'm probably going to do that. Okay? Okay. You probably have maybe studied Revelation a lot longer than I have. And maybe you're better at it than I am. Probably not, but anyways, you know. (laughs) Just kidding. So, what kind of book is Revelation? Let's read together at least a few verses of chapter 1 together, starting at verse number 1 and reading down to verse number 8. Would you stand with me? Notice in my Bible it says prologue, greetings and and doxology, and one like a son of man. Do you see those three divisions there? Okay. And uh, so we're going to read the first two sections together. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants was what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. 
And blessed are those who hear it and take heart to what is written in it, because the time is near. John, verse 4. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be the kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. So what I'd like to do here in this, this uh, portion of, uh, of the message here is I would like to establish what kind of book is Revelation. Because Revelation is a very unique book of the Bible. Could we all agree with that? You know, there's nothing like the book of Revelation. It's a, it's a unique piece of literature. It's found at the very end of our Bibles. But I want to say this, Revelation is connected to the rest of the Bible. Okay. Revelation uses a lot of the imagery, a lot of the language that is found throughout the entire Bible. And so, so it is not a book unto its own. It's not a separate piece of information. It is part of the entire revelation of God that is found in God's word. The 66 books of the Old and New Testament. The last one being the book of Revelation. But the book of Revelation is a unique book. And understanding what this book is will help you to read it the right way. Help you to understand it. And I love the fact that, that the very beginning of this book tells you what it is. It actually tells you before it gets into it. It has a, what is called a prologue. It's like a, an introduction to the book. It's like a, it's like a way to, for you to identify what it is you're going to be reading. And there are three things that I want you to see about the book of Revelation that will help you. Okay, we're going to take it right out of the scripture and we're going to see what, the, what this book says about this book. About what it is all about. The first thing I want you to see is it is apocalyptic. It's an apocalyptic, apocalyptic book. Say that ten times, all right? The Bible says here in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation is this word in Greek, apocalypsis. Okay? This is why we have the word apocalyptic, because the Greek word for revelation is apocalyptus. It is the uncovering, revealing, and unveiling of of the will and picture of God, present and future. Is God revealing it to us? Now, I want you to hear that God does not want to conceal the future from you. Good news, amen? He actually does want to reveal it to you. He wants to unveil it. And revelation is about unveiling to you that there is a, there is a war that's going on even right now. We learned that in Ephesians where it says you, you pray against the principalities and powers of this dark world. And that you are in a spiritual battle. And things that you can't see physically with your own eyes, you are aware of in your spirit because you are a spiritual being who has the presence of God in you. And so God's word tells us that this is a, an unveiling, and a, a way to open your eyes and help you to see. And he says, it is a revelation of who? It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I want to say this right up front. If there's anything you should learn about revelation, you should learn about Jesus. Amen. 
He is the central figure of the book of Revelation. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a revelation about Jesus Christ. It is a revelation of his work, of his continuing work, of his future work. It is all about Jesus. It's not about trying to figure out the end times. It's about knowing him and following him and trusting him. Because this is a book that reveals Jesus Christ, which it says, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You'll notice in this verse there is a sequence that goes on of revelation. God the Father is revealing to God the Son, and God the Son is revealing to a messenger, angels, who are revealing it to John, who is writing it down. And so right at the very beginning, we, hear, we see that this message of revelation comes from God, not from John. He is, he is, the, he is the one who writes it down, who sees it, but he's not the author. God is the author who has made himself known. And so this is the apocalyptic. Now, there is also a genre, you know what I mean by a genre? That is a type of literature that is ancient, that we no longer even use today in written. It's, uh, it's, there's genres in filmmaking, you know, there's science fiction and there's romance and there's, you know, there's, uh, there's dramas that go on. There's all different types. Well, in the Bible, it's full of different genres, different types of literature. And the Bible has, um, it has letters, it has gospels, it has history, it has um, prophecy in it, it has poetry in it. And we don't read every section of the Bible the same way because we understand there's a difference between a poetic verse and an, a direct command from Jesus. And we understand those things and we interpret them in context. This type of literature, of apocalyptic literature, is not something we are comfortable with because it's not something we read all the time. And so the scripture sometimes is a little hard to read. And that's why apocalyptic literature is about God who has revealed himself through visions, through symbols, through things that you can't necessarily understand on face value, you must have an interpretation to help you to understand them. That's why I'll be honest with you, I've always preached from Gen Revelation 1. Maybe I've done a message before and I've done messages in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. And then I've skipped to Revelation 22. But 4 to 21 is really full of a lot of visions. We got horsemen. We got bowls, we got judgment, we got fire, we got blood. I mean, we got all kinds of things going on there. And we'll get to those things, but that's an apocalyptic message. Um, N.T. Wright says this about in the book Revelation for Everyone. He says, the way of writing, what is he talking about the way of writing? The way of an apocalyptic writing. By the way, the only other book in the Bible that has apocalyptic writing in a in a, in, in a large form is Daniel chapter 7 through 20. If you go to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, you will find a similar kind of literature that you find in, in Revelation. Some people think the Olivet Discourse that Jesus had when, when he was talking about coming back again is full of apocalyptic kind of language. Although I don't see it as clearly as I do in Daniel and Revelation. But this way of writing was designed to correspond to and make available the visions and revelations seen by holy and prayerful people who are wrestling with the question of divine purpose. And so sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've had people come up to me and say, I had a vision last night, Pastor. And they will describe that vision to me. I was in the spirit. I was praying. And God gave me a vision. And I don't know what it means. And I usually go, yeah, I'm praying for you because you're crazy. 
No, I don't mean that. But, they, they, you know, sometimes people have visions. And sometimes they have, you know, kind of, um, kind of epiphanies or, or, or pictures. And they don't know how it all works together. And maybe down the road, something helps them to understand what's going on. But here in the book of Revelation, we know that John is in the island of Patmos. And he, the scripture says it was on the Lord's day and he was in the spirit. And the scripture says that there was an unveiling. A, it was like, it's almost like God had taken the, taken the shade and pulled it up. And he was able to see things that he had never seen before. And the, Jesus said to him, I want you to write down what you see. Just imagine trying to do that. And he begins to try to explain what he sees. And so what language does he use? He uses a lot of the language because John, it's very clear that John knows his Bible. He knows Daniel. He knows Ezekiel. He knows Isaiah. He knows, he knows a lot of the scripture because a lot of the imagery that he uses to describe what he sees is taken and from other portions of the scripture and are able to describe it to us. And that's why I say Revelation is part of your whole Bible. It's not just, you know, in and of itself. So the way of writing is designed to correspond. It's a, it's a way that you do that. And, and, and let the reading be what it is. I would encourage you, if you want to do it, want a challenge? Go sit down and read the entire book of Revelation in one setting from beginning to end. Take an afternoon, take two or three hours if it takes you that, and just let it speak to you. Let it move you because that's what it's designed to do. The original book of Revelation was a book that was, that was communicated, as we know from the scripture, to the seven churches. So it was a book that was probably, here's the book, and it would take into this church and read, and take into this church and read, and take into this church and read. It was a circuit letter that was read out loud. It'd be like going to a play, and you're watching it unfold before you. That's what this type of literature is. It's apocalyptic. Second is, this book is prophecy. This book is prophecy. It's unique prophecy because the scripture says, blessed is the one who reads these words of what? What's he say there? Of this prophecy. So it's not only a revelation, it's a prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it Take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Now, I've been disobeying God's word for 35 years. Because this verse, right here in verse 3 says that you're blessed if you read it. You're blessed if you hear it. You're blessed if you preach it. You're blessed if you obey it. Amen. This is what we call a beatitude. You know the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, this is a Beatitude in the very beginning of, of, uh, of the book of, of, of Revelation. He encourages us to read these words. He encourages us to hear these words. And then you're going to hear it being preached. Okay? But you could also hear it by taking your Bible and putting it on, you know, on, on one of those apps or something. Let it be read to you. And you just listen to it. You could even have a dynamic reading of it with some sound effects in the background. You could do those kind of things, okay? You'll be blessed by it. <coughs> but what's he say? Take it to heart, which means to obey it. In other words, this, this revelation that is given to us in the book of Revelation is not something for you just to think about for the future. It's something for you to think about now. And we know that Jesus said in the Gospels, I am coming back, be ready. Amen? Be ready. So that's, that's a command that's given to us. This prophecy, by the way, is a prophecy that, that is given to us, is, refers to 
and I wrote it down on the screen for you. It's in my notes. These, uh, the, by the way, it, it ends in Revelation 22, 6. It says this, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So all that we're going to see about what will soon take place or what is taking place now and into the future, he says these are trustworthy and true. And Jesus even goes on to say, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps these words of the prophecy in this book. So this book specifically is one of the only books in the Bible that says you'll be blessed if you read it, blessed if you hear it, and blessed if you obey it. Now we know that's true for all of the Bible, but this book specifically says it right in the beginning. But what kind of prophecy is he talking about here? This prophecy does not refer to predictive foretelling of the future. That's not what he's talking about. Because there's nothing for you to obey about the future or some specific event. The foretelling he's talking about here is the preaching of God's word of what you hear in the book of Revelation that leads you to an ethical, spiritual surrender response to it. And there are specific things that you should be following the Lord as we go through this book. You'll hear God say, now this is how it applies to your life right now. Okay? So... Be aware of those things and, and connect to those things. Here's the, what kind of book is it? It's an apocalyptic book. It's a prophetic book. It's, now this is unique. It's apocalyptic and prophetic at the same time. Okay, There's a lot of prophecy that's not apocalyptic. But this is apocalyptic. In other words, they come through visions, through, through these revelations. From, from Sometimes from angels, sometimes from the Spirit of God. This came directly from God to Jesus, to angels, to John. Okay? But this is also a letter. It's a letter. And you'll notice there in the very beginning of chapter 1, John lays this out because he gives us a letter format. You have the, the letters of the Apostle Paul where he writes to the church of Ephesus. He writes to the church of Philippi. He writes to the church of Corinth. And he writes these letters and he sends it to the, to the church. And those letters are read publicly in church. They were oral. People did not read the letters. They were read to them. Well, John receives this revelation from Jesus Christ through an angel. And he writes this as a letter to the seven churches. He says, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Now catch this. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits on his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, the ruler of the king of kings and earth. So John is the writer, but this letter is coming from who? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You find the Trinity right there in the first paragraph. The God the Father is the one, he says, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. From the seven spirits, that is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. And so this letter comes directly from God himself. And it's addressed to the seven churches. Okay. Seven, by the way, the word seven is a unique number that is unique in the book of Revelation. There are seven judgments, there are seven bowls, there are seven churches. You'll find seven all over the book of Revelation. It literally means perfect. It is inclusive. And so even though this is a letter that is addressed directly to these seven churches, it's addressed to you at all of Knowles. Because when you read the book of Revelation, specifically the specific portions in chapter 2 and chapter 3, you'll discover that, that the writer says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, guess what? You are hearing it as well. And so the message of 
the, of, this, of, the, of the book of Revelation is meant for all churches in all times, but it was specifically written to the seven churches, and they are named. Okay, we'll get into that more next week. And then he says, to him who loves us. Who loves us? Who loves us? Jesus loves us, doesn't he? Notice, by the way, he uses the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. He doesn't go Father, Son, and Spirit. He wants, this is a continuation of this thought who is the faithful witness and the firstborn from the dead, who loves us, who has freed us, and by our sins, and by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and ever and ever. Amen. And so Jesus is the one who died on a cross for us. Jesus is the one who frees us. Jesus is the one who loves you. Now God the Father loves you, but he has demonstrated his love in his son. And what has he done for you? He's made you into a kingdom of priests. He's made you into servants of God the Father. Did you catch that? He says it right, right from the get-go here. And then he says this, look, he's coming in the clouds and every eye will see him and even those who are pierced by him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be, amen. He declares right from the get-go that Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, the one who rose from the dead, the one who frees you, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, he's coming back again. A second time. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord says, who is, who was, and who is to come. So as you read this letter, as we preach through this letter, I want you to understand that this is a, a very unique book. Apocalyptic, prophetic, and a personal letter that is written to you. And God has some things to say to you there. Now, then he moves into what I call the inauguration of Jesus Christ. The very first vision, the very first glimpse that he is going to see of the things of the future. When he's unveiling, as he's, as he's taking the curtain and beginning to open it up for John to see. The very first person who walks out onto the stage as the curtain goes across is not... The beast, it's not the dragon, it's not any of the other images that are found in the book of Revelation, but it is the Son of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he presents, God is presenting him as front and center as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is inaugurated. He is, he is, it's almost like he said, let me reintroduce you to the one who died on a cross to you. Let me reintroduce you to the one who rose from the dead. Let me reintroduce you to the one who ascended back to the Father. And this is the very first time that the scripture reveals to us a picture of Jesus outside of the gospels. We have a little bit in Acts where Jesus confronts Saul on the road to Damascus. But other than that, we do not have a full picture and glimpse and vision of Jesus Christ like you do right here in the book of Revelation. It's a powerful picture. But notice a few things. First of all, the setting. The setting is the island of Patmos. That's where this book, this revelation comes to John on. It's a, it's a desolate island. It's a small island off the coast of today would be Turkey. Okay? South a Asia Minor is where it was. And the scripture says this. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in suffering, for the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. So John is writing this letter that is revealed to him from Jesus Christ, from God the Father, through the angels. And he's saying, I am one of you. I'm one of you. I suffer with you. I am, I am, I am somebody who's put my faith in Jesus Christ, just like you have. 
I'm coming alongside you. I am suffering in the kingdom and patient endurance that is ours. Was on the island of Patmos because, why was he on this island? Because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. What does that mean? Why was John on this island? Well, there's only three possibilities. One, he was exiled there because he was preaching the word of God and the testimony and they wanted to shut him up. That's probably the most likely reason, okay? He was there as a martyr because he was put there to die. The second reason is he went there to tell others about Jesus. Maybe there were people on the island and he was going to preach the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That could be a possibility. But no matter, he is there on that island. And while he's on that island, and sometimes I want to tell you, I feel like I'm on an island. Sometimes you feel like you're on an island. And you're all by yourself. You know, kind of reminds me of that movie um, Castaway. You know, where, uh, what's his name? What's his name? Yeah, Tom Hanks. You know, the FedEx plane crashes and there he is on the island, you know, all by himself. You know, we kind of get that image and he's there and he's trying to communicate. And the scripture says this, on the Lord's day. What's the Lord's day? Sunday. In the early church, what became the Lord's day was Resurrection Sunday. That's why we worship on Sunday and not on Saturday. On the Lord's Day. By the way, you should keep the Lord's Day holy. Amen. Holy unto him. And the Sabbath shouldn't be something that, that you are a slave to, but the Sabbath should be a blessing to you as you make worship a priority in your life. On the Lord's Day, he says, I was in the Spirit. Now, could I give you just a, a really cool kind of equation if you're on an island on the Lord's day in the spirit, God's going to show up. Amen? And maybe for some of you, you're today in church and you feel like you're on an island all by yourself. You might be in a room with a bunch of people, but you feel lonely. God is right here with you. And if you will connect into the spirit, he will show up and speak to you in powerful ways. He says, I was on the Lord's day and I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet and which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyteria, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. By the way, those are in order on purpose. Why? Let me show you. This is the island of Patmos. The closest church to the island of Patmos is Ephesus. And then there's a circular motion for these seven churches that are listed. They go Smyrna, Pergma, Thyteria, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. They put them in order because that was the order that they were communicated to the church. It goes from the island of Patmos to Ephesus and it circulates around the island, around Asia Minor. These are the seven prominent churches of that day and time. There were probably more churches. But these were the seven that John was familiar with. John had probably preached in these places. John had known these people. John had prayed for these people. John was intimate with these people. He was a prophet and a priest. He was a, he was a preacher. This is a, a bigger picture. You can see here Jerusalem. This is the Mediterranean Sea here. This is Turkey today, Asia Minor. This would be, um, over here would be Corinth and Athens, you know. And uh, so this would be the, the, the church world of that day. This was the place where Paul traveled and planted churches on his four missionary journeys. These seven churches are the seven churches that are addressed in Revelation. So he hears that voice. It's a thundering voice. By the way, it's not my voice. I don't have a thundering voice. You ever have a preacher that has a thundering voice? I love a good thundering voice preacher. What was your dad like? Did he have a thundering voice? Did, did Lita, did, did, did Bird have a thundering voice? Did he have a wimpy voice like mine? 
<laughs> you know, uh, I don't know. But, you know, uh, I followed a district superintendent up in, um, up in, in Michigan. His name was John Siemens. John was a missionary, and he had the, one of those voices that when he was in the room, everybody was like, who is speaking? Like, whoa, is that God? You know, he had that kind of booming voice, you know. And, uh, so, the, and so he turns around, and he sees the voice that is speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. And his head and his hair were white like wool. White as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like the bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of a rushing waters. And in his right hand he held the seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Wow, what a picture. Can you imagine, John, in the spirit? Hears the voice and turns around, and who does he see? The Son of God in all of his brilliance. He begins to describe it, describe the Son of God, using the language that he had learned from the Old Testament. Similar language you can find describing the Messiah, God's Son. A double-edged sword. I love that image. And you know what Hebrews tells us? That the Word of God is like a double-edged sword. It penetrates. It divides. It speaks. It's among seven golden lampstands and seven angels. Seven stars. Again, the use of seven over and over and over again. The word of perfection. God has given us a picture. What do you do when you're in the face of God? When God shows up in all of his glory? What would you do? Well, it says, when I saw him, John, I fell at his feet, though dead. I could see him down on his knees, prostrate before the Lord. He sees this vision. It's his first vision that he sees. He's going to get a whole lot more. But right from the very get-go, even before he addresses the seven churches, he sees Jesus, the one who is marvelous, who is majestic, who is holy, who is right, who is pure, who is eternal. He falls down before him and he worships him. And the scripture says, Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in my hands. Right from the very get-go in Revelation, we have the real message of what Revelation is all about. It's about Jesus it's about his superiority. It's about his, his throne. It's about his ability to defeat all of the enemies that you and I face. All of them. Including death. Disease. War. Racism. Political power, injustice, you name it, Jesus is going to have the last word. That's what Revelation is about. It gives us hope and strength. And we know who writes the end of the story. And it helps you to hang on. John writes this to those seven churches who are going to go into one of the most massive historical moments of persecution for the church in human history. They were going to try to stomp out Jesus and all of his followers. And they felt small and they felt insignificant and insecure and their leader was cast to an island. And God shows up. 
Amen? Some of you right now are going through difficult things. This book is not about just tomorrow. It's about now. It's about right now. And the Jesus who died for you is also the Jesus who is king. And you can trust him. Because he's going to show you he's going to defeat all of your enemies. All of the enemies of human existence. And make all things new. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, would you? Much more to say in the coming weeks. I'm going to go back and study my book of Revelation made easy, and I'm sure I'll get all the answers. But next week we'll look at the churches, and the Lord will help us in chapter 2. Would you bow your heads for a moment? We're not going to sing a closing song just for the time's sake in this service. God, thank you for showing us what the book of Revelation is all about in the first chapter. Thank you for the inauguration of Jesus Christ who walks out into the stage and presents himself as the one who holds the stars, who stands in the middle of the lampstands and declares that he has a sword in his mouth and declares that he has the power of life and death. God, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus this week. And help us as we continue to see the unfolding, the, the unveiling of the things to come that it would encourage us in the here and now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.